Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know when you're sniffly and you can't breathe through your nose, so you breathe just through your mouth? This show's like that. It's like breathing through your mouth and then tasting the world on your tongue and then closing your mouth and then swallowing the goodness of the world and then um, not choking and then being at one with the universe. Adrift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Hello! My uh, my confidence is a, a bit of a low. No, why? Yes, well, I was in a cafe yesterday and it was really busy. Every seat on the main ground floor of the cafe was taken. Mm. And then they've got a basement, which is like an overspill area. So I go down there, uh, I take my cup of coffee and I've got my laptop with me. So I get that out to do some work and I end up stationed at a table for four and there's just me on it. Okay. And the place is so busy that the overspill gets completely full, apart from my table. Right. So then this lady comes down the stairs. She's got a tray in her hands. She looks around. She looks over. She sees that there's space next to me. Yeah. And then I just see something in her face where she thinks, I don't think so. And she goes back up the stairs again. No. Yes. So you think it was something about you? Yes. I think she would rather stand and eat <laughs> than just, have to share just, a table with or me. Or just leave hungry. Yes. <laughs> the food she's bought. Oh. What, what, what's going on there, do you think? Oh, I suspect... I don't know, maybe the table was dirty. It I'm wasn't to... dirty, it was completely clean. Oh. I was on it. I gave I, I gave a, a somewhat warm smile. Oh. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, my, I've talked about this before, but my wife has kindly informed me. I mean, I wasn't I was well into my forties when I um when I discovered this, that I have a creepy smile. Yeah, that's her opinion, not mine. <laughs> Um, we were walking down the street once and there was a lady walking in the opposite direction. I thought I knew her, but I couldn't quite place her. I thought she's probably works at one of the local shops or something. So I said, Sarah, do you know who that? She says, yeah, I think she kind of looks familiar. But I so I thought what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a, a half smile. Mm. And then that way, if she approaches and she does recognise me, she's going to read it as a smile, smile back and say hello. Yeah. If she doesn't, she's just going to think, oh, look at that man walking along enjoying life <laughs> with his wife. Yeah. So, so, so this happens and we cross each other and there's no recognition in the smile. And if anything, she looks a little horrified. So I say to Sarah, this is how I discovered I have a creepy smile. I say, I'm worried that I just freaked that woman out with my smile. She says, I don't think a nice smile is what either of us offer. <gasps> Your own wife. Yeah. No. That she's made it a bit better by trying to make out that she hasn't got a nice smile, which she has. Right, yeah. But I've become very paranoid about it ever since. Oh, to be paranoid about your smile, that's awful. Well, um, it seems to be it seems to be having the repellent effect in this cafe. <laughs> and the other thing that happened in this cafe was um, my phone was running out of battery. Right. So I thought, I'm going to plug it in mm. just to charge it up. Now, in that situation, would you ask if you could plug your phone in? Hmm. If there's no one around, no. If, it, if it's just me and them and they were looking at me, then I would mention it. Otherwise, no. Yeah, so, so I think I'm just going to do it by yeah. stealth yeah, is yeah. what I think. Um, I go to find a plug socket and they've put, they've put covers over the plug socket so that people can't charge things. No. Yes. Well, like lockable ones. Yes, no. like the ones that you put in there to stop babies sticking their fingers in them. Wow. Yeah. So, so then I ask about the Wi-Fi, yeah, and they say, oh, "I'm sorry, we've we've 
switch the Wi-Fi off because too many people were just coming in here and um, and just treating it like an office. What kind of cafe is this? It's a windowless <laughs> place and no electricity or Wi-Fi. You sure it was a cafe? It was a cafe. <laughs> sure. But that raises another interesting issue, I think. So if you're in a place using your laptop, hmm. how often do you need to buy something to justify oh. uh, the space that you're occupying? That is such a good question. Mm. Yeah, I I feel like definitely one thing an hour. Yeah, I think if it's yeah. just a drink, one thing an hour. Yeah, I think if you buy your lunch, I think you've then got a ninety-minute grace period. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, but once an hour. But I do think there are people who just go and squat. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. Those people, <laughs> they disgust me. <laughs> Time for a drift with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. In whichever order that makes sense to you, you are the one perceiving it in the computer simulation. Um, hi. We'd love you to share your stories with us and your fellow drifters. You can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. This is from Steve. I have a little story that you might like about one time when I said something weird that still gives me nightmares today. Many years ago, I popped into the branch of my bank during my lunch break from work. It was busy and the queue was huge, but they had these gatekeepers that work out if you need to join the queue or if you qualify to speak to someone else. Oh, the privilege of being invited to a high table. (laughs) Anyway, the gatekeeper asked me to take a seat and wait for his colleague. I'm not sure what I was thinking about while I was waiting, but it clearly wasn't anything intelligent and it led me to saying something strange. Eventually, the banker came over and introduced himself. Hello, my name is Michael. How can I help you today? For reasons that remain unknown, I replied with the word easy. (laughs) Not in a cheery kind of way to say this was going to be the easiest query Michael will face all day. For some reason, I said easy in the kind of way you would when a friend says something a bit saucy. (laughs) Or when someone has had a few drinks and they stumble when they stand up. I'm not sure I've described it well enough here. I said it in the kind of way you would if your mother-in-law had just told everyone she wanted more nuts. Or when Nan wants some spotted dick for afters. It led to about five awkward seconds of Michael and I looking at each other, completely confused at why I had just said the word easy, as if he had made a cheeky innuendo. I don't know how, but after another few seconds, I managed to snap out of the crippling panic that had set in and go about my banking business, <laughs> my banking business as if nothing had happened. Heaven knows what poor Michael was thinking. It becomes more and more <laughs> chilling every time I think about it, which is quite often considering this was about eight years ago. Easy. <laughs> anxious just writing out the story it's so good easy i was also thinking of which wrestler was it that people used to chant easy was it big daddy oh i don't remember people used to chant easy easy maybe he was thinking about big daddy maybe so yeah explain that okay this is from jenny when i lived in london there was a girl who worked for the same publishers as i did who nearly always took the same bus into work i knew we recognized each other but she never acknowledged me possibly she was anxious i would want to sit next to her and talk, an idea that obviously fills me with abject horror. However, I was also deeply affronted that if we caught each other's eye and I raised my eyebrows in order to express the sentiment, we work for the same company, but let's never speak, she did not raise her eyebrows in return. Unforgivable, I think you'll agree. This went on for many months. One day, I found myself sharing a lift with her. Again, she completely ignored me. I wrestled with my conscience. Should I say anything? Yes? No? Back and forth I went as the lift climbed the floors. Eventually, I settled on no. What did I care after all? However, as I stepped out of the lift, I suddenly recklessly changed my mind. I turned around to face her and addled by my previous indecision, I bellowed, I see you on the bus the whole time. (laughs) Naturally, she was horrified, pulling a face of disgust as she replied as the lift door shut. I don't take that bus anymore. She, she did. I no longer raise my eyebrows at her. Oh, that is that is so good. It reminded me of a story. Somebody we used to work with, who I will call Ian, hmm. was getting on the London Underground one day. He's on the platform um, and he sees somebody he doesn't know very well who works in the same company. Uh, let's call her Fiona. Right. I think, shall I say anything or not? It's, just, it's a bit awkward. Like they caught eyes. So he thinks, Joe, you know I'm only going two stops. I'll go over and stand with her. Yeah. 
So he goes over, says hi, they get on the train. He, he's got two stops worth of small talk in him before he has to change trains. Mm. In between the first and the second stop, the train breaks down. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. How long were they in the tunnels for? <laughs> It was a long time. It was time. an hour, it was, yeah, I it think. Was, yeah, it was an hour or more. Oh, can you imagine? Terrible, terrible. Oh, and this is Shadows is Nice from Beth. On my first week of my final teaching placement at a primary school, my teaching assistant offered me a piece of licorice. I hate licorice, but because I was too shy to say no, I took a piece and spent an hour with it at the back of my mouth. <laughs> Probably not great for the old molars. Until we got to break time and I could run to the toilet to spit it out. It turned out that the teaching assistant was obsessed with licorice. And because I'd accepted it once, I couldn't say no. It was a long 10 weeks. <laughs> then when it got to my birthday, she decided to go out of her way to buy me a birthday present. I wish she hadn't. What did she get me? A huge bag filled with every type of licorice you could imagine. Upon giving me the bag, she said, I know you love licorice because I've never seen you eat any other sweets. Lesson learned. Do you think she knew <gasps> and she was trying to smoke you out? No, no one would be that cruel, surely. Mm. Um, we would love to hear from you. If you'd like to email us, these are the kind of stories we're after. Um, I, I loved the use of the word recklessly. Mm. So maybe uncharacteristic <laughs> Recklessness yes, would be good. Be good. Uh, shyness is nice is one of our favourites. Any sort of social ineptness stories. Um, anxiety pangs, things that you said maybe when you were six years old, which every now and again you'll still be like, oh, did I really say that as you're going about your day? Um, hiding, anything on that? We talked about um, that last week. Have you ever been so embarrassed or had to avoid something uh, in, in such an urgent way that you've had to physically hide? Um, what else? Pretending to know what you're doing, blurting stuff out, um, any kind of social faux pas, causing accidental offence and so on. Email us, please. Hello at adriftpodcast.com. There are some things that move down the stream... Some of them are called Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. It's coming past you, and on the sail is written G-L-A-P, which stands for GLAP. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. The organization. Adrift. I enjoyed hearing about your dynamic with your parents last week. Mm. And um, a few weeks ago, I enjoyed hearing about the 11-year-old you writing to smash hits for pen pals. Oh. And I, th I would like to hear more about you as a child. Okay, right. So, yeah, this is going back to when I was 11. And as a child, my parents encouraged me to do lots of drama. And looking back on this, my first thought was that it was because I was really shy and they wanted me to do something to bring me out of my shell a bit. But on second thoughts, I think it was because my brother had done it and enjoyed it. And he got me and my sister out of the house on Saturday mornings. I think that's probably more likely. <laughs> so we were in this drama club and the first production I starred in was Sleeping Beauty. I say starred, I played Morpheus, the Sprite of Sleep. And I'm not sure that's a character that made it into the actual fairy tale or film or book or or any other kind of production. But I got a taste for all things theatrical and I decided to write my own play. And obviously I thought long and hard about what to do as I came up with Cinderella, but not just Cinderella, the modern version of Cinderella. Aha, uh -huh. didn't Jim Davidson have a similar <laughs> idea some years later? Spelled differently. A bawdy panto. Yeah, with, with an S. <laughs> now, from memory, the only thing that made it modern was that Cinderella wore trainers instead of satin slippers. Everything else was decidedly old-fashioned. Like Cinderella was still slaving away for her evil stepsisters until she gets to marry a rich man, the rich man having lots of maids. And I distinctly remember a scene where a maid complains about her bunions. How did I even know about bunions? I'm not even sure what they are now. Anyway, I've written it, but this is not enough for me. I want to put on the play now. So with some chutzpah that has long since entirely <laughs> left me without leaving even the slightest trace, I do it. I do it at my primary school. I use my fellow pupils. I cast it. I give them all scripts. I can't even remember how I got multiple scripts done. I think maybe I got my mum to do it at work. <laughs> And then every lunchtime for a few weeks, I directed it, which feels like such a mammoth task now, getting everyone together, mm. telling them what to do, sorting out costumes and props and scenery. There's no way that I could tackle something like that now. <laughs> Although I suspect there wasn't much in the way of scenery. And I was 11. Like, who was this person and what happened? 
So it's performed in front of the whole school and it went down really well. I was basically the primary school Trevor Nunn. <laughs> now, it was traditional at my school for the oldest class, the fourth year juniors, to do their own assembly each year. They write and perform it themselves. So when it came time for ours, my fellow class members looked to me to take charge because of my previous mm. experience, along with Susie Hurley, because she was the cleverest girl in the class and so therefore could do anything. Now, usually these assemblies were on the theme of stuff like helping the elderly, stranger danger, you know, this kind of thing. Mm. But at the time, a big thing, a massive thing was Grange Hill. And it was the TV show, obviously. And it was a really big time for Grange Hill as it was the Just Say No storyline. Yes. Now, for anyone of a different age or nationality, as I say, it's a TV show, it's a kid's drama set in a school. And the Just Say No storyline was when Zamho got addicted to heroin, which is gritty stuff for kids, isn't it? Yeah. And it became such a big thing that the whole cast recorded a single Just Say No, got to number five in the charts. So we decided to do our assembly on the dangers of drugs. Even though we didn't really know anything about drugs, evidenced by the song that we wrote and performed, it was to the tune of the theme of the cartoon James the Cat. I don't even remember that. James the Cat. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Exactly. I won't sing anymore because we could get into royalty. <laughs> so the lyrics were, My name's drugs. I'm drugs the pill. I can kill. I'm drugs the pill. <laughs> And that was it. I mean, that was it that we sang. Drugs of the pill. Yeah, drugs of the pill. <laughs> it was also around the time that it had been in the news that Boy George was addicted to heroin. So we also made this announcement to a school full of five to ten year old culture club fans. <laughs> it's recently been announced that Boy George is addicted to drugs. Sadly, he has just another two weeks to live. <laughs> Where did we get that from? I'm pretty sure we made it up to be sensationalists. <laughs> My part, though... That I wrote for myself, obviously. I played Elvis Presley. I came on in my school uniform, didn't have any kind of costume. I came on, I sang the opening to Blue Suede Shoes. Just one for the money, two for the show, three, get ready, let's go, cat go. All while doing some Elvis style dancing. Then I stopped. I stood very still. I looked down sadly. Then I looked up and said, I was the king of rock and roll. Not after I took drugs. I was just another ordinary loser. I'm not sure that was strictly true. Like, he was still Elvis Presley, as far from an ordinary loser as you can get, really. Anyway, it was a big hit with the five to ten year olds. And also, my big peak, because my theatrical career went downhill after that. The closest I got to reviving it was when I was teaching in Mexico. Me and a colleague decided to start up a drama group with our English students. We put up loads of signs in the school advertising the first meeting, to which not one single person turned up. <laughs> And my colleague ended up being a writer on the South African version of EastEnders. But me, what happened? Although I never did end up getting addicted to heroin, so that assembly did really work. I have to say on the subject of that assembly, if you are ever asked to do a TED Talk... I mean, you can just dig that out. Do that again, right? <laughs> it's coming for you. Jeff Lloyd, Annabelle Port. Can you believe they just did that? Adrift. Thank you for downloading our podcast. If you would like to go the extra mile um, and bung a little bit of money our way. We have a Patreon page set up, patreon.com stroke adrift. Patreon is spelt P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And um, we've got various rewards on there. Annabelle's working her way through giving everybody a title mm -hmm. who has backed us so far. And there's different levels. So if you donate one US dollar, that's what you get. And then uh, two US dollars, we're going to do some deleted scenes because you'll be off on maternity leave soon. Yeah, will, yeah. So I can um, pull together stuff that was too good mm -hmm. to include in uh, previous podcasts. I don't know what to do about your maternity leave. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't. Like, how long am I going to take off? I don't want to be the Nicola Horlicks of podcasting. <laughs> Taking a few days. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it is really just coming around my house and chatting. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. But while you're off, I was thinking of maybe we could have some people sit in. Yeah, that'd be nice. So maybe I could approach other podcasters. Mm. I thought about asking my wife to do one. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. So anyway, that's one of the rewards. Um, we're going to do a special podcast just for Patreon supporters um, a couple of times a year. And I think I got a lot better there at asking for the money, mm. something we've been working on week on week in, week out. And the, part of the reason is I've heard some American podcasts do it. I've been listening to how they do it and they just they do it with such confidence. And I thought that maybe the way to get people to donate money to our Patreon page 
is by maybe you asking in your famous American accent. How do you think? Actually, that might be, creates a bit of distance, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so you're going into character. Yeah. Are you Rennie Kleinhart or are you a different American? I can be Rennie Kleinhart. Okay, this yeah. is a, this is a, one of Annabelle's um, alter egos that she used on the old radio okay. show. So okay. so do you want to ask people, just, just assume the character okay. of this confident American who's quite comfortable mm. asking people for money. Okay, I'm already getting into it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. It's Rennie Kleinhardt here. So we got something to ask you, which we really hope you're going to want to do. We'd really like you to donate some money to keep us going because, you know, we can't just do this for nothing what we can. But, like, it'd be nice to have a little bit of money to pay for things like, I don't know, travel and stationery. Are you done? (laughs) No, no, not even nearly. Would you like me to be done? So please, so please, you know, like just a dollar, a dollar a month is like, what's that? I mean, actually, if you've got no money, that's quite a lot. But if you've got more than a dollar a month, please think about it. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Well, that was worth carrying on with. I thought she's about to do something spectacular. (laughs) She's about to do something good. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so support our podcast at patreon.com stroke adrift. This is warm and friendly, and you like it, and that's why you're here. You were the one that pressed play, after all, with your thumb. Adrift, with Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. You have a lovely thumb. What's your approach to charity giving? Do you have a direct debit? Do you do it on an ad hoc basis? I used to be signed up to a lot of those charity clipboards one. I mean, several, like double figures. Um, And I feel really awful saying this, but I recently... Cancelled them all. <laughs> really bad. Understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By re- but I'd given a lot of money over several years, so now it's more ad hoc. Now I still give, but on a more yeah, so so less regular basis. Because you're not working. We yeah. we were working, and now you're not working, mm. so you've had to um, tighten your belt accordingly. <laughs> exactly. I'm curious to know some of the things that you prioritised over your charity giving. <laughs> I mean, very little. A lot, a lot got cancelled. <laughs> Lattes? Uh, no, not so much. Okay. No, no. Um, <laughs> You're making me feel guilty. <laughs> um, I have noticed that it's so popular now for people to do sponsored things. Mm. I don't think a week goes by without somebody asking me to sponsor them for something or other. Mm. You know, it could be a marathon. It could be not swearing for a month. or I, I, don't, I don't even know. But it's, mm. it's usually done via email. And I like to give on an ad hoc basis. So if you if you use things like just giving, oh yeah, yeah. So you sign up and uh, you go to your friends page, and it'll tell you what they're doing. I'll tell you something I have noticed mm. that people have stopped being sponsored per mile or per length or those kinds oh, of things. Yeah, it used to be like that, didn't it? Yeah. Because you used to be able to incentivise them. Yeah. It's okay, I'll give you ten p a mile. I mean, if you really want that two pound sixty, you've got to run the full marathon. It's, it's, it's a good, it's a carrot, right? Mm, mm. Anyway, that that aside, so I'm often sponsoring people on an ad hoc basis for things, yeah. and you go through the different pages, and eventually you get to the part where you have to tick a box to say whether you want to be anonymous or not. Oh yeah, yeah. So what do you do in that situation? I think I always tick anonymous. Right, I always tick anonymous. Mm. Because I hope that it's going to be anonymous on the page so that mm. I don't look like a show-off. Yeah, yeah. But the person who I'm sponsoring is going to know it was me. Yeah, because I think they do. No. Oh. Not always. Oh, dear. What might change? So I sponsored somebody £40 for something the Whoa. other day and they don't know it was me. Oh, my God. What You have to tell them. What do you think I do? I mean, I just don't know, don't know what the etiquette is. I don't know the right way to deal with this. I don't even know why it's important to me. <laughs> so I'm going to find out in this week's The Incident. <laughs> Stuart Heritage is a writer and he's currently fundraising. I'm doing a 24-hour walk around the circumference of the Isle of Wight for Macmillan. So when you're doing a sponsored event, are you combing through the people who've sponsored you? Yeah, totally. I I get a kick out of seeing the people I recognise and how generous they are, or (laughs) not generous. Um, like getting a lot of likes on the internet, it makes you feel very powerful. Mm. And have you noticed any notable omissions from people who haven't sponsored you? Well, maybe, maybe. I know some people. Right, here's the thing I did because I'm doing I'm doing a sponsored walk next year, and I tweeted a link to my Just Giving page needily, and I noticed some people liked it, 
liked the tweet but then didn't donate. Oh, so they think the like is enough. That's enough to curry your favour. Yeah, that's slacktivism. That's what that is. <laughs> have you? Um, have any of your enemies sponsored you? <laughs> my enemies, my real-life enemies. So there are some people who I didn't think would who did. Do you not have a nemesis? Uh, no, and now I feel in- inadequate. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> I... I'd love to have. I'd love to have. Although in my head, I've got a list of people who they did sponsor me. I would. I would think that that would count as a victory in the imagined feud I have with them. Sometimes I've sponsored somebody who's not quite an enemy, uh, but certainly not a well wisher, as as kind of an act of passive aggression. I think. Oh, to show that you're the bigger person. Yes. Clever. Yes. Um, I'm, have I done that? I think a friend of mine's ex girlfriend. Just it's oh, this is going to sound creepy, but it's more to say like I'm watching. I know. Oh, I wish I hadn't said that out loud. What is what is your approach when you get one of those just giving emails? Who makes the grade and who doesn't make the grade? It depends on sort of the severity of the challenge that they're doing. Five k run. That's what twenty five minutes out of their day. That I'm not sure that warrants uh, that warrants any sort of sponsorship. But me, I would sponsor me in a second. And how would you feel if people were sponsoring you per mile? Because it's be- it's become the, the 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 fashion to sponsor for the whole thing, and I think that de incentivizes people. Maybe I kind of I do I do have a sort of a mathematical system in my head where I sponsor more the further they're running. I try, like a pound a mile sounds quite good, doesn't it? Mm, mm. Except I know someone who did an ultra marathon. That's a hundred miles. I think you know. Do you think when it gets to that stage that they're, they're doing it for themselves as much as they are for their charity? Oh, completely, completely, yeah. I I mean, to go back to this thing I'm doing, I, I might have done it anyway, just just for the sake of it. And but now the having people sponsor me, it's a I can't get out of it now. <laughs> I was calling to ask you some professional advice. Oh, I'm so honoured. Yes, dear. That is my mother-in-law, Lynn. She's a therapist in a wealthy suburb of Chicago. A lot of her clients are seriously rich and donate a lot of money to good causes. So why do you think I feel the need to let people know that I have donated to them? Oh, I I have an answer to that because you do because you do want to be liked and you do want them to know not really that you care about them but you want them to think that you care about them so that they will like you. Do you think it's healthy? I think it's not unhealthy. I don't think it's unhealthy. But you you wouldn't go I, I think it's extremely normal. Will you talk to me about some of your clients who you you have some wealthy clients and obviously anonymously who make these great acts of philanthropy? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, they I I I think that they have so much money that they I think some of it do it anonymously. The wealthiest do it both anonymously and not. And I think they do it because it's important to have that attention. And I think they get something out of letting others know that they're wealthy. With these very philanthropic, generous clients of yours, um, have you ever thought it would be nice for them to write you into their will as this person who's done them so much good over the years? Oh, there's one I think should write me into their will. will. Because because, um, I've been the only source of support for this individual for the past 39 years. So... Have you suggested that in a therapy session? No, 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 that would be wrong. No, I can't do that. And that would not be that would not be humility. Could you not gently steer the conversation that way? I don't think that's ethical. But I would. <laughs> Dr. Elizabeth Dunn is a professor at the University of British Columbia. She's conducted research on the link between charitable giving and happiness. 
So we find in our research that uh, when people give money to charity, they get happier. Um, And individuals who typically give money to charity uh, tend to be happier overall. This effect we actually see around the world. Um, And when we kind of propel people to give money to charity, um, we see them exhibit a rise in happiness. So we can actually say that there's a causal effect where um, giving money to charity actually makes people happier. And how how does that happiness that you get from charitable giving, how does that compare to, I don't know, buying yourself a new pair of trousers, for example? Uh, So we find that people... um get more happiness from using money to benefit others than from buying something for themselves. Um, And, you know, surprisingly, people don't get all of that much happiness on average from buying material things for themselves. There are better ways to spend money. If you're going to spend money on yourself, there's, you know, other good ways to use it. Like we've talked about um, uh, in our research, we look at the benefits of buying experiences. Um, But if you're torn between buying a new pair of trousers or giving the money to charity our research would suggest that giving the money to charity will produce more happiness than buying those trousers. My dilemma is around anonymity. So somebody asked me to sponsor them for a charitable event the other day. I went through the whole rigmarole of going online and filling in the form. It said, do you wish to remain anonymous? I thought, yes. But then I was horrified that not only would I not show up on their website, but also they would never know that I donated. Mm. In other words, is people knowing that you've given money to charity, is that part of the happiness? Uh, Well, we've actually never directly tested the uh, role of anonymity. But what we do see is that people feel um, get people get more of a boost from giving to others when they do so in a way where the sort of social connection of that giving experience is maximized. Um, So in one study, we gave people some money and basically allowed them to either keep it for themselves or to share it with a specified uh, classmate who was in the same lecture hall with them. Um, And when they had to do that, um, uh, when they gave the money purely anonymously, we really didn't see much of a happiness boost as a result of giving. Um, But when they got to, you know, reveal their identity and, you know, the other person would know how happy they were, I mean, the other person would know that they'd given the money, we did see a boost in happiness. But we don't know if that's just because of the sort of anonymity variable. It might also be that, you know, when you're giving to this specific other, you kind of have this positive connection with them. So we found that when people could like walk over and hand this other person in the room this money, like it left them feeling really good. And that's the kind of giving that I think human beings sort of evolved to engage in. We did not evolve for anonymous giving on website. Right, because I want to give some money to to a good cause, but I also want my friends and acquaintances to think I'm a great person. Right. So like there is clearly a potential benefit from um, others knowing that you're a great person. Although interestingly, we don't find that that's necessarily a crucial ingredient. So we still see the benefits of giving even in situations where um, others around you won't know that you engaged in the act of generosity, as long as that giving opportunity has some other key ingredient. For example, in uh, one study, we um, gave people the opportunity to uh, give this nice goodie bag to a sick child in a local hospital and the child wouldn't know who gave it to them. And, you know, their friends and family wouldn't know that they had done this, but they had this feeling of like, Oh, I'm helping this specific other person nearby with this like kind of concrete gift. Um, and so there we do see the emotional benefit. Well, I still think I'd be walking around saying, I did a great thing today. I gave a <laughs> goodie bag to a sick child in a hospital. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hi, uh, do you mind if uh, just signing on this uh, clipboard? Uh, it's just $4 a month. You can give money to this charity, and then uh, it will just come straight out of your bank account, and then we can turn into an evil corporation and take over the universe and then kill babies and small children and women. Jeff Lloyd, um, Annabelle Port. Adrift. How would you feel about me very quickly plugging my other podcast? Oh, I'd feel very happy. So I have started a new podcast. It's called Reasons to be Cheerful, and it's me and Ed Miliband. And what we're doing is talking about ideas. Um, The reason I thought of this was a lot of people, especially if you're a bit progressively minded, um, I've been feeling down about stuff like Trump and about the divisions, the way everybody's divided over Brexit. So I thought, what, what, what are the good ideas out there? What are the ideas to get excited about instead of just sitting around and moaning to your friends about how terrible everything is? And of course, your friends, you choose to have the same opinions as you. So you just all sit around moaning about how terrible everything is in your echo chamber. Mm. So I thought, well, I, I will... I'll see if there's some good ideas out there. And Ed's got a big brain. And of course, he used to be leader of the Labour Party for many years before that. He was in government. So he must hear stuff, right, Mm. from think tanks and and so on. So we've got this podcast called Reasons to be Cheerful, and you can download it now. And we record it here in my loft. How does that feel, Annabelle? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting in his chair, aren't I? No, you're sitting in your chair. He's sitting in your chair. Says so much about me that I said that, isn't it? Is his chair in my head? Yeah, Yeah. it's it's quite exciting. Do you find it thrilling to hear me with another person? I do. I I find it very thrilling. Well, she she says um, she says that. Of course, you haven't actually listened to it. No, only because I left my headphones at home. Like otherwise, would have done. Let me tell you something. (laughs) If if I was in a situation where a friend of mine had a podcast, I said, "Oh, I've downloaded it." And then I listened to it and I didn't think it was good. My first excuse would be, oh, I, f- I forgot my headphones, so I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> no, honestly, I haven't. You can check my phone. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, you can get that now in all the old familiar places on whichever app you use, Podbean, Overcast, Pocket Casts, iTunes and so on. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. And uh, while, you, while you're on the old podcast apps, you know what you need to do, don't you? Yep. Rate and review this program, please. Mm. Uh, it really helps us. So if you just take a few seconds, especially on iTunes, to give us a five-star rating and give us a positive review, we would be extremely grateful. If you know where you're going, it doesn't matter if the location is going in that same direction because you're already making the move. Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port. Our drift. I phoned Annabelle the other day. This is how it went. Hello. Hi, it's me. Hi, are you right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. Um, I was thinking. Yeah. That with the baby coming soon, your dog Rusty Scruff, he's going to be feeling left out. Oh, he will. He's going to be jealous. Yeah. So I was thinking that maybe you could do something um, something nice for him. Yeah. So why don't you try and get him bestowed with an honorary degree? <laughs> well, I can't think of anything nicer either. Okay. So you're going to do it then? I'm sure I can do it. Why not? So how have you got on, Annabelle? Well, see, I am a bit worried that Rusty the dog is going to feel a bit usurped by the baby. Because even though dogs are more advanced than babies at first in terms of toilet training and walking, they're much quicker at that. Babies really catch up on them by talking, don't they? Mm. And Rusty is showing no interest in talking. Unless you count the incessant barking in the front garden that's led to him having to wear an anti-bark collar. It's a nice one, though. It's very humane. It just kind of buzzes slightly like a, like a phone. It vibrates. Right. And, and he likes it. Like He really wags his tail when you put it on. It's a bit heartbreaking. But it's, it's like this little box that sits on his throat. And I think he feels a bit robot when he's wearing it like a bit futuristic but i do I always wanted a robot dog when i was a kid oh well maybe he feels that way yeah maybe i'm gonna get one of these things for like <laughs> so she feels slightly more like a cyborg dog yeah, yeah maybe you should so i do feel that my dog does need a confidence boost and he might be a genius 
I mean, I've got no evidence for this. In fact, in truth, all the evidence points very much to the contrary. <laughs> like when I tried to do a treasure hunt for him last week, it was a very basic treasure hunt. There was no clues. I just put treats around the room while he watched me do it. And they weren't even hidden. They were all in plain sight. And yet he still couldn't find most of them. <laughs> and also when I play hide and seek with him and I hide behind a door and he comes in the room, but he just can't find me. He just sort of stands there looking about. If anyone's been wondering what I've been up to since we left the radio show, I think I pretty much answered that question just then. So maybe he's not that clever, but lots of not particularly clever people have got degrees. And actually, I'm forgetting, doesn't actually need to do a degree, does he? It's, it's an honorary degree. Yes, yeah. And there is a precedent for an animal getting an honorary degree. A frog. Uh-huh. Kermit the frog. Uh-huh. I mean, let's overlook the fact that it's a famous animal and actually not an animal, but a puppet. <laughs> so... Anyway, I need to get to work finding a university that will honour him. So I really want to have one that's having a ceremony really soon because Rusty is a Generation Z and they're all about instant gratification. <laughs> Probably, I didn't check. So, so is that the one that comes after the millennial? It is. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I do. A- Sorry, um, what I meant to say there is that the one that comes after us millennials? <laughs> us millennials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I do a Google News search. This is happening last Friday. And it yeah. comes up that Harper Adams University in Newport is having a ceremony that very day. And a man from Country File is getting an honorary degree. Now, I've never heard of Harper Adams University. And it worries me a bit that it sounds like it was named after the Beckhams' daughter. If the Beckhams broke up and Victoria changed all her children's names to her maiden name. But it's been going since 1901 and they wouldn't have thought about that then. So I won't judge them. Especially as what's most interesting about them is that they are a specialist provider of higher education for the agricultural and rural sector It's perfect because Rusty loves the rural sector and that he likes going to the park. And he showed a real interest in agriculture this week when he dug a hole in the grass in the garden, which was pretty annoying, actually. But maybe he was just trying to tend to the land, sow some seeds or something. (laughs) Plus, I look at the notable alumni and TV dog trainer Barbara Woodhouse studied there. It's what she would have wanted. Yes. Although for memory, she didn't actually seem to like dogs very much, did she? <laughs> I think she just a, 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 um, uh, adopted a strict yeah. approach with them. Yeah, fan affair. Dif- different times. Yeah, different times. Different times than there was a famous dog trainer. Anyway, <laughs> the only drawback is that the Chancellor is Princess Anne and Rusty is a well-known anti-monarchist. You may remember he wants weed onto the face of the Queen. I mean, it was on a newspaper with a photograph. But anyway, maybe they don't know about that. Mm. And I've not got time to worry as it's happening as I say that afternoon and it's currently 10am and I've worked out I can drive to Shropshire in three hours and 10 minutes so it's totally doable (laughs) so I call them up and I say hello I'm calling about the honorary degrees being awarded later it's just that Barbara Woodhouse a new will has been found and she states that she will never rest in peace (laughs) until a dog it's given an honorary degree at her former university in 2017. Oh, my God. I'm going to have a conditional. I will never <laughs> rest in peace until in my will. That's so great. And make sure it's a new will that will be found, yeah, fortunately, yeah. in that very year. Now I continue. Obviously, that's very short notice. But luckily, I have a dog called Rusty who would be available today. The lady says these words. OK, I'll try some of the senior staff for you. <laughs> talking to another lady now presumably senior staff so I explain again and she says right well it would be far too much short notice for a ceremony today because everything's been lined up and the order of ceremony is all organized in advance she clearly needs some extra persuading if this helps I say we have had a special mortarboard and gown made for the dog (laughs) so you wouldn't have to worry about that if that was the thing that was concerning you It turns out that that wasn't the thing that was worrying her. It's this order of ceremony that's been finalised for a long time. Why can't people just be more flexible? Yes. I'm offering them a dog in a little doggy mortarboard and gown. A dog in the ceremony. But she adds, is this something we can talk about for future reference? She's agreeing to do it next year. So we could do it next year, I say. Her reply is, we can certainly discuss and look into this. So that is sorted for next year, which actually is lucky as I didn't really have a little doggy mortarboard and gown made. <laughs> so I've got plenty of time now. And by September 2018, I'll have Rusty Scruff, the teddy bear king, he's firm but fair, BSC honours.
that was our podcast. Thanks for downloading it. If you haven't given us a review or at least a star rating on iTunes yet, do it now. Unless you're driving or performing surgery or something similar. You can show your support in the best possible way too. Pledge us a little money at patreon.com stroke adrift. If you have a story of your botched attempts at human interaction that you'd like to share with us and your fellow drifters, email hello at adriftpodcast.com. Thanks to Man and the Echo for our backing tracks and to Emily Harrison for the incidental music for the incident. My advisors on the incident this week were Stuart Heritage. His book, Don't Be a Dick, Pete, is the funniest thing I've read this year. And you can help him raise money for Macmillan by Googling his Just Giving page. My mother-in-law, Lynn Barron. If you need therapy in the Highland Park, Illinois area, um, she's, she's reasonably priced, if nothing else. And happiness researcher Dr Elizabeth Dunn at the University of British Columbia. Vince Lynch and Simon Wilcox provided our idents and voiceovers. Patrick Gunning and Iwana Babu provided technical support. Our artwork was designed by Kim Rainey and Carla Gowlett took the photos. Thanks to you if you're out in the world telling people about this podcast. We need listeners, so it's up to you to create new drifters. And finally, thanks to Susie Hurley from Annabelle's Primary School class for co-writing My Name's Drugs, Drugs the Pill. Adrift. Adrift. All right, on to the podications. Attention all drifters. If you would like an episode of this podcast podicating to you, then you can email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. The first one, okay, here we go, uh, comes from Lotifus A. Random Fox. That's a good name. That's what we were going to call our baby. Well, that close. <laughs> would you consider it? I'm gonna, I might steal it, yeah. Uh, who says, hi, Jeff and Annabelle. Hi. Hi. I'm Lotifus, once a listener to your radio show, and now that elusive being, a teenage drifter. Teenage? Uh, we, we need a birth certificate. <laughs> uh, I'd just like to say how much I'm enjoying hearing you again, but I do have something else to tell you about, a shyness is nice story, in fact. Once I downloaded a podcast and thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. However, one thing you must know about me is that I love finding out facts about animals. Imagine how intrigued I was to hear a feature all about the bullying habit of swans. However, my intrigue quickly turned to doubt when one of the podcast hosts described the birds bullying smaller birds. Cormorants, I think they were, is the direct quote. Mm, Okay, I think I know what's going on here. Carry on. My brain was screaming all through the rest of the podcast that cormorants are much larger than swans. I was even tempted to email in to the podcast and flood them with unwanted corrections (laughs) about the respective sizes of birds. But rather, being rather a, a shy and socially awkward individual, I never did. I suppose the cormorants will have to live their lives in a state of underappreciation, forever dismissed as the smaller birds in a world of elegant, royal, barbaric, uh, sorry, barbaric swan bullies. Okay, I hold my hand up. I didn't, I, I don't know why I said cormorant. Like it was the name of a bird. I just thought. <laughs> it's a funny, it's a funny word, I think. <laughs> I think you were just looking for a funny word in a sentence. I, I was trying to describe a bird that is small and it's black, and it's got a white beak. And I actually did think they were called cormorants. I think you might be talking about a moorhen. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I, I could, you know, I could, um, I could be enraging Lotifus with even that suggestion. But this is interesting. Maybe we do have listeners to this podcast who are, um, are twitchers. Oh, yeah. I mean, ornithologists. I'd like to think so. So if you have any um, bird-based contributions, mm. then we'd love to hear from you. Mm. Yes, please. You know, tell, tell us, tell us whether I'm right about the moorhen. Give <laughs> me Tell us more about the cormorant. <laughs> yeah. What it gets up to. All right, I'll carry on with this. Uh, you don't have to give me a podication, as I'm sure you get loads. But if you 
do decide, I'd like to dedicate it to my family, my dog Fizz, and the book I've written, which will be out soon, oh. The Mark of the Red Paw. Wow. The Mark of the Red Paw. I doubt books can hear podications. <laughs> But maybe the little dryads who live in the trees used to make the paper now live in the books and will appreciate the shout-out. It's quite obvious I've now run out of things to say, so <laughs> thanks for reading and goodbye. Once again, good luck with the podcast. That is Lotifus A. Random Fox. I enjoyed that very much indeed. The other one comes from Tracy, who says, uh, Just listened to your podcast preview. Reminded me of happier times when I made my way home from work, joyfully listening to you both wittering on. I have missed you. Well, that's a, a lovely thing to um, that's a lovely thing to read. But we've got this podcast now. Mm. There's the other one with me and Ed Miliband yeah, yeah. that can replace the old Mind Expanding Mondays from the radio show. Yeah, yeah. So all we need to do now is launch another three podcasts. <laughs> yeah. You must have one in you. <laughs> I'll have a think. Um, anyway, I've subscribed but won't listen to anything until I'm lying on a sunbed in Turkey at the end of September. Mm. If you're up and running by then, I do hope so. Well, here we are. Yep. I mean, it is the end of September. Yep. It, it is today, uh, the 26th mm. of September. Um, so if you are, can you do a pod shout out? Whatever you called it, podication. Mm. This is. I say that like you should know. If you only ever listen to the radio <laughs> yeah. show, this is a new word to you. It's just it's a word we've been using on the podcast for well over a decade. Um, I would have forgotten all about asking by then, and you are definitely on my podcast holiday list. So it'll be a brilliant surprise. Surprise, Yay! Tracy. Uh, thanks very much. Good luck with everything. So there we go. Uh, the latest edition of the podcast is podicated to Fizz. Uh, Lotifus A. Random Fox's family and the little dryads who lived in the trees. And his book. Oh, and his book is. is yeah. You're assuming it's a he. Oh, I am. I'd assumed it was a she. Uh, how interesting. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What, what led you to that conclusion? I just think Lotifus is a boy's name. <laughs> <laughs> and to Tracy on holiday in Turkey, if you would like a podication, then please email us hello at adriftpodcast.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.